0: Hello, hello everyone. This is Tia Moskolenko. I'm your co-host here right now. It's Ask Growers podcast and I'm actually talking with you from Ukraine.
1: And I'm Melissa Hutzel, your co-host, and I'm located in California.
0: So our today's topic is equity in the cannabis industry. We have two guests today. It's Paula Pelke and Robert Hoban. Thank you for joining us, folks. Um maybe you could just start with introducing yourselves and then we can just uh, dive into the topic right away.
2: Thanks, everybody. Uh, my name is Paula Pelke and I work with Cannabis Equity Employment, which is based out of New Jersey. Um, I'm in Vermont um, and we are looking to expand nationwide now. So we started in New Jersey uh, at the beginning of 2022. Um, we're now expanding into other states. And what we are is we are a job board that is focused specifically for candidates who have had previous cannabis convictions. Um, and we are helping them get into the cannabis industry and into ancillary industries as well alongside the cannabis industry. Uh, in the process, we are um, working with reentry programs. We are you know chatting with programs like Last Prisoner Project and the Weldon Project. Um, to get our our candidate profiles created for these individuals. We also then are taking that a step further. We're helping them to get any cannabis-related trainings that they might need, either at an extremely reduced cost or a a free cost. Um, We are also helping them um, in preparation for those jobs. So if they need help creating a resume or interviewing practice or uh, if they need to get in contact with anybody in regard to um, finding appropriate clothing for uh, interviews, um, we're helping them with that. We also are uh, working with various different programs um, and lawyers around the country to help with expungement processes as well for those individuals. Um, and then we actually right now in New Jersey are starting a pilot shuttle bus program for um, from uh, impact areas to areas where there are cannabis uh, businesses open. So we're in the process right now of getting that set up in and around the Trenton, New Jersey area as our pilot program in hopes that we can get that set up into other uh, high impact areas where we might need people who need transportation to those cannabis jobs. Um, We are Right now, just, you know, still pretty small, but we are growing exponentially day by day and reaching out and expanding into all these new states that are bringing in legal cannabis. Um, So it's a pretty exciting time for us to be able to, you know, work on the social equity uh, and social justice component of this um, and really make that our focus for those individuals who've had those previous convictions to help them get their, you know, foot into the door. And not only that, but be, you know, at a level to compete with others for the jobs.
3: Uh, it's hard to beat that as a, as a lawyer. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so but it's good to be with y'all. Thank you for uh, the invitation. Uh, my name is Bob Hoban, and, as you mentioned. Uh, I'm a founder of Gateway Proven Strategies GPS Global is the website, a leading uh, global cannabis consultancy. Uh, I'm also the founder of C Trust. C Trust is the website. It's a leading uh, cannabis industry credit rating system and consultancy. But I spend uh, the the vast majority of my time, sharing the cannabis industry group at Clark Hill. Uh, I joined Clark Hill in July of 2021 after running the Hovind Law Group for 15 years. The Hovind Law Group became the largest uh, cannabis-focused, global cannabis firm in the world. uh, And we sold that and merged with Clark Hill in 2021. Uh, We have 700 lawyers at Clark Hill. Uh, I run a team of about 100 Uh, It's multidisciplinary, which is what sets us apart from many of the other uh, larger firms, meaning we do regulatory, we do tax, we do litigation, we do IP, we do mergers and acquisitions. We have experienced field professionals in all these different areas. Uh, But I personally spent a lot of time over the last several years uh, drafting legislation and policy for 30 countries around the world. Uh, That comes on the heels of me serving as one of the first cannabis professors in the country at the University of Denver for five years, and uh, uh, it's just been an an exhilarating ride, to say the least, Uh, and even though we head into 2023 with a little bit of a damper over the industry in terms of its economics, uh, I think the future remains very, very bright, and uh, excited to talk about uh, this topic with you all this morning.
0: I just wanted to say that it's an impressive number, like you said, 700 lawyers?
3: There are 700 lawyers at Clark Hill, yes, and uh, 103 of those lawyers uh, we've recruited into our cannabis industry group, and about 60 of those lawyers work more than half their time uh, on cannabis matters, so I'm pretty proud of that.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's very impressive. So thank you so much for those introductions. My first question is, uh, what does the term social equity mean? Can you describe the importance of it as it pertains to this emerging legal industry? And this question is for both of you guys.
3: Social equity, what does it mean? It means that the industry uh, is acknowledging through regulations, laws, and public policy that it has a a debt or a penance so to speak to be paid towards people that have suffered the consequences on the long-standing war on drugs simply put you know look marijuana was put in the roster of schedule one substances uh, many 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 years ago uh, most of us know that that designation that classification was based on uh, racism and, and other sort of prejudicial biases from the leaders that were in existence. In the teens and ultimately into the 30s, um, and it has this war on drugs has disproportionately affected the uh, bra- black, brown uh, populations and and, and and other minority populations uh, so so heavily that the industry has recognized formally that it has an obligation to at least attempt to make that right. So social equity would be the concept of you know sort of fixing those social wrongs of the past that adversely uh, affected those populations and sort of putting regulations or laws in place that make it, I don't want to say easier, but to, but to put a, a person uh, who has, or at least their family and, and their their people have suffered from this war on drugs, to allow them an opportunity to participate in the commercial regulated industry, which frankly is so dominated by, you know, a, a less diverse ownership and licensee population. Um, and, you know, we... We've seen multiple states do this. California sort of led the charge. Uh, we've seen other states, frankly, other countries institute some of these things. Colorado was a little bit late to the game to put some of these rules and regs in place, but um, they are effective in part by creating opportunity. But the one I'm really looking at and looking forward to seeing how it rolls out would be the state of New York because I think so much effort has gone into it. So it's a little bit more than you asked for, but. But but that's kind of my perspective on the topic uh,
2: for today. Absolutely, um, and you know everything that that Bob said certainly is a part of that social equity component. Um, and it's interesting, you know, being kind of in the in the battleground area with what's going on in New York and kind of watching those things unfold. Um, you know, there's a big emphasis on how this plays out and where the funds for some of these social equity programs are coming from. Um, and, you know, how the, the individuals end up receiving those funds. Um, and so it's really, you know, the the biggest component that we talk about every day at Cannabis Equity Employment is is that this is not charity. When we're talking about social equity, again, to to Bob's point, we're looking to you know right some wrongs that have happened in the prohibition of cannabis, and we are looking to create um, opportunities for individuals who historically have been held back by that prohibition and by the legal actions that were taken against them. And you know, this is not to say that you know, other individuals, you know, aren't, you know, certainly capable and have the ability to step up and move into the the realm of this industry. But, you know, we're trying to make this a much more fair playing ground. We're making this industry one that instead of continuing to, to bring harm to these individuals, instead says, look, we're going to turn this all around and we're going to create opportunities for you um, that hopefully will create some, you know, that that goal of reparations that we're looking to get in this, in this industry and against, you know, many of the people who have been harmed time and time again by this, again, those people um, of color, those, the, the individuals of, you know, various different minorities, whether that be, you know, LGBTQ, um, these people who were kept from being able to, you know, have their medicine, you know, during the AIDS epidemic. Um, to of course all of our black and brown brothers and sisters who have spent so much time in our legal system due to cannabis, um, and to be able to, you know, say look, we know that these wrongs happened, and you know, acknowledge that is the first step. But to be able to create programming and opportunities for these individuals is certainly the next step, and it needs to be a really big step to be able to move forward into this in a way that creates, you know, wealth for for variety of individuals, not just a chosen few. Well, as
1: you both have mentioned, um, so historically in America, minority populations have suffered the brunt of the effects of the U.S.'s war on drugs. How do you think that the cannabis legalization movement has brought attention to the injustices caused by the drug war and particularly for minority populations?
2: We're mm-hmm. we're in this place where it it's, you know, we've had for the past 20 years, at least, you know, that I know it's, it's been a a continued topic. It's not like it's a brand new topic. Um, And, you know, there's been a push for legalization of cannabis for such a long time. Um, And within that conversation, there has been this social equity component that's been quietly chugging along within that. Um, And it's something that, you know, as the legalization comes about in each state, People really have to sit down and have real conversations about what this looks like moving forward because we can't continue to persecute people and hold people back um, when we're turning around, telling this other individual, you know, on the other side of them, that it's okay that they move ahead into this industry and you know, create business, create and you know, movement of finance and whatnot. We we now have a platform that is is so much broader and so much more bold than it's ever been before as each state comes into you know discussions about legalization and we have you know a, a really this opportunity to change the narrative of, of how people are moving into this industry. Rather than making it about the money, we can make it about the people. We can make it about, you know, a, a sense of humanity in the industry. We can, we can make it about, you know, uh, moving, removing some of those stigmas that have continually held people back, not just about the cannabis plant itself, but about, you know, racial stigmas, ethical stigmas that are kind of around um, race in this country. And, we have the opportunity to reset that now within this industry. And you know no other industry has, has provided us this opportunity or given us this platform in quite the same way. And I think that that's one of the things that people are really starting to take notice of now.
0: And do you guys know at least approximately the brief statistics of gender and maybe nationality parity in the cannabis industry, how it looks at least during the last two years maybe? I
3: don't, Bob. Do you have I, any I information? On that? I, I, yeah, I don't. I don't have those numbers. Uh, I'm sure that you know there's places to get those numbers. But you know, again, while there's effort to diversify this industry, it is not what I'd call the most diverse. I mean, go just, just at a basic level, it's male dominated as well. Uh-huh. Uh, which you know, again, these things need to change, and there's significant efforts to, to make a change. But you know, these are growing pains. These are growing pains in any new industry. Um, and I, I think that it, these things will work themselves out over time, but not without deliberate effort. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's what these social equity programs tend to do. I mean, you know, one note I would have is remember, you know, marijuana, marijuana with an H as it was spelled, was classified as a top tier uh, scheduled substance, a, a, a very offensive drug, if you will, um, mm-hmm. because of the fact in the teens and 20s that there were People of color and and Mexican nationals using cannabis, and these were people that were exploited uh, uh, to sort of say, "Hey, America, we don't want uh, you know this kind of thing to proliferate." So therefore, uh, you know these these racist leaders of the time uh, scheduled cannabis in the most restrictive category, uh, which has set us back so far because we all know how how it you know how much of an impact it has. Uh, from a medical standpoint, let alone the fact that it really doesn't have an adverse impact on society. So from the very beginning, it was based on these racist roots. But here's the thing that really strikes me: when in my early days, I I interned with public defenders' offices and and whatnot. And what I saw firsthand was, you know, young black men in New Jersey cities that were deprived of the opportunity, despite having the intelligence and the qualifications to go to college. Why? Because when they were 11 years old or 13 years old, they were subject to a, a, an arrest. And that arrest, uh, you know, whatever level the arrest was, if it remained on their record, there were revisions made to whether they'd qualify for student loans later, mm-hmm. someone that was, you know, charged with a criminal offense concerning drugs. And so, you know, I went to school on student loans uh, when I grew up and, 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 and was educated. Talking to you as a lawyer today. So think about the fact that these, these, these people from these communities, The black communities in particular in New Jersey, in my illustration, they were deprived an entire opportunity to go to college because they didn't have the money to pay for it and they didn't qualify for student loans. That's injustice that the industry can't even begin to possibly repair or repay, but to give people an opportunity to participate in this industry uh, instead of going to jail for it is at least a step in the right direction.
1: Absolutely. That's, I think that's a really interesting point that you made, and it really hones in on some of the systemic issues that the war on drugs has created. So, Robert, as an entrepreneur and an executive, what are some of the inclusive policies you or the companies you work with are doing to acknowledge these inequalities and provide resources to underserved populations?
3: It's a great, uh, it's a great question. So, um, in we, my, my former firm, the Hovind Law Group, uh, we enacted a social equity program. Uh, that social equity program was enacted uh, in approximately 2017, 2018, but we bulked it up, so to speak, in 2020 in light of the protests and like and the like, and, and recognizing that we just needed to do more as an organization. So the, the Hoban Law Group at the time, we took steps to recruit from uh, you know, minority communities or schools that had higher minority populations so that we could give folks a chance. Uh, you know, Denver is not exactly the most diverse place in the entire United States. So we, we we made it a deliberate effort to, to go out and try to give people opportunities to work with us and to work in the industry outside of, um, outside of the, the Colorado marketplace. Uh, we've contributed to student organizations. Uh, we worked very closely contributing pro bono hours. Towards people that have been incarcerated uh, for for drugs, uh, drug possession uh, and distribution, uh, we've worked towards helping um, different organizations understand what their legal rights are and how they can advance. Thoughts and you know a lot of this came on the heels of some of the police brutality uh, issues that were also arose in 2020. So those are some of the things that the Hogan Law Group did. Now since I've joined Clark Hill. I'm impressed to say Clark Hill as a large uh, firm has uh, achieved what they call manfield certification, which means that it has taken appropriate steps and enacted appropriate programs to be uh, fair and balanced in this regard. Uh, And then our other endeavors, uh, we built those entities from scratch to be diverse uh, learning from, you know, some of the issues in the past, as you may know, Particularly in the West, uh, the legal profession is—you know—there's not a lot of diversity. That's improving, but there's not a ton of diversity in the legal profession. So we've done our part in the legal profession, but it was uh, easier for us to build uh, GPS and C Trust uh, with diversity included from the very beginning. Um, so to, to create those opportunities, and those are some of the things that that, that I, under my leadership, and, and that my organizations have done, and I'm quite proud of that.
1: Paula, Cannabis Equity Employment is a mm-hmm. nonprofit job board specifically for ind- individuals with previous cannabis convictions. Can Correct. you tell us about the company's mission and how and why it aims to connect such individuals with employment opportunities? And furthermore, what are some of the jobs that
2: you connect your clients with? Sure. So we are, we're still a very small company. There's only six of us right now. Um, The two initial founders actually both uh, have previous cannabis convictions. And so, you know, through their, um, you know, their adult life as they've been getting, you know, and attempting to get jobs, um, you know, having those convictions on their records and having to you know, list out those convictions um, on applications has, of course, made it really challenging for them to move into professional workspaces. Um, It's kept them from, you know, being eligible to get various different jobs or made it extremely challenging for them to kind of get past the stigma that's associated with these convictions. Um, One of them has been able to get their record expunged. The other one still is in the process of doing that. Um, And so as they kind of prepared to move into the cannabis industry because they also are opening a dispensary in Lambertville, New Jersey. Um, They saw a need for this, uh, particularly within the industry itself. Um, You know, looking around and seeing that many of the states at that point in time um, weren't doing a lot as far as like the state was concerned uh, to create any uh, equitable programming for individuals to help individuals to, you know, move into the industry. So um, they saw a need for that and brought on uh, the other two founders who both have had family members who have been incarcerated. Um, and, you know, the those were the four that really got things started and moving in New Jersey. Um, and then, you know, I came on and then another gal came on. Um, and now we're in the process of expanding our reach outside of New Jersey and into other states. Uh, the real mission is, is to be able to create access points for these individuals, places for them to turn, for guidance, places for them to turn for um, help getting in contact with the appropriate people, to get them through all the steps, to be able to get them into the industry and into the jobs that they're looking for. Um, And also, you know, to be able to not only you know, get them into the job market, but to also move beyond that space. Uh, Like I said, being able to help them with expungement processes, getting them in contact with lawyers or foundations within each state that are going to be helping with that um, is is a pivotal point in this as well because as great as it is to be able to get somebody that job even with their cannabis conviction still on their record, what's even better is to be able to remove that from their record altogether. Um, and so the goal is to be able to help as many people through that process as possible. And then obviously most of these individuals are going to be from those high impact areas. Those high impact areas tend to not have great transportation. Those high impact areas tend not to have great resources for individuals. Um, So, we're looking to see beyond getting them into the industry what can we do to help them be able to maintain those jobs, be able to move up into, you know, this in positions within the industry and to be able to feel like they've got a solid support system around them. Um, There's so much that is really focused on, um, you know, the various different minority groups, um, which is wonderful, but there's not a lot of focus specifically for individuals with previous incarcerations. And so that's the one thing that makes us a little bit different and is a standout service that we're offering is is we are looking to work specifically with those individuals to help them And, you know, that is, that is the big priority for us. And again, it's because our two original founders of the company both have had previous convictions and have dealt with that. And, you know, it has certainly made challenging um, situations in their life that they've had to overcome or they've had to accept. And, you know, nobody should be in that position. We, we want to make sure that, you know, as, as the market Opens up, you know, around the nation and we're pushing toward ultimate legalization that we're not going to continue to hold these people down. We're not going to continue to keep this weight, you know, on them that they're still having to deal with this. We want to get them to that clean slate place and give them that additional step up and that support system that they need.
1: Very interesting. So, Paul, of course, you mentioned expungement. And from my understanding, expungement can be really tricky and it can take a while. And this really highlights the need for resources uh, for those who are seeking expungement, but also resources for the legal community. So, for example, I know in California... as part of the the legal the legalization here in this state, uh, a lot of people had their the right to have their rec- records expunged. But of course, there are still many people who are waiting to have that happen. So Robert, maybe you can touch more on on this um on this issue on and just speak to the, I guess, the need for those resources uh, for the legal community in general.
3: Absolutely. Um, So you you mentioned a couple of things, you know, and and Paul, you talk about expungement uh, uh, processes, et cetera. But I think it really comes down to the support system. Um, Not everyone is cut out to work in the cannabis industry. Um, Mm -hmm. Not the most educated person, not the most experienced person, not the person who's worked around cannabis for decades. It is a very challenging, uh, highly regulated, strictly regulated, uh, highly taxed system. Uh, and you really have to be perfect. And as we know, as human beings, perfection really doesn't exist. Um, but that is unfortunately the standard on some, under some of these, these programs. So put the high, high, high burden on an operator, an owner, a manager in this space. So to get through that, you need a support system. Uh, and, and creating and institutionalizing these support systems uh, are extremely important on an operational level, but also on a legal, from a legal standpoint, right? Um, you know, you've got situations that need to be addressed over and over and over again. And, you know, lawyers are expensive. Lawsuits are expensive. But when you have the right lawyers with the right mindset uh, and you have an organization that, you know, has a particular mission that resonates, like some of the uh, the organizations we've seen in the cannabis space, um,
0: good lawyers and good
3: organizations are able to come together and to, you know, work together on a pro bono or a low bono basis. In other words, uh, with, with small, small, small fees to accomplish certain things in the space, whether that be you know, public policy lobbying or regulatory lobbying, whether that be applications. We've tendered social equity applications uh, in multiple jurisdictions across the country uh, and uh, you know have uh, gotten, a, gotten a little bit of a, a knack at uh, being able to describe by way of narrative why this particular applicant uh, is the right person on the other side of that. And of course, we do those things Uh, at low or or pro bono uh, fee rates, because, you know, that's sort of our obligation as we see it as lawyers in this space and and someone who who the industry has treated quite well over the years. But, you know, mobilizing lawyers to dedicate time towards things that are essential, but also things that they personally believe in is really the key here. And most legal organizations, firms support their lawyers working uh, in those aspects. You know, one other thing I would note that, where, where expertise and support is needed is, you know, if you have a, a company uh, uh, led by a minority owner that's going to apply for a social equity application, um, you know, what, what are the things that, that management or leadership team needs to understand to be able to raise capital, to be able to, to get through the hearings uh, at these committee uh, committees and, and decision-making bodies and the like? Those things happen but it's not obvious what needs to be done in those situations. So we've always made it a point to sort of go in and provide some of these organizations with educational efforts that give them more background, more support as to what they can expect at the next level so that they don't just take, you know, uh, intelligence and experience and go on to the next level, but they're also taking, uh, you know, a learned guide with them along that journey so that their opportunities are maximized. Because as I said, and as I think we'd all acknowledge, this is not an easy industry to operate within. Um, and it gets increasingly difficult, particularly when you recognize all of the other mm-hmm. things that are happening with intoxicating hemp and global movement and saturated overproduction in different states. Uh, it, it requires support and leadership, no matter who you are. But I think that's ex- especially uh, on us as, as a burden and as, as something that we, are, uh, we have to do to support you know, our minority brothers and sisters to get social equity applications through and to have the support to succeed on the other side because getting the license is just the first part of the equation.
0: Robert, you say it's a really difficult industry to work in. And as a lawyer, can you maybe share how many uh, successful cases were there uh, if we talk about the cannabis industry in, on, on your experience?
3: Well, I mean, this is, this is the cannabis industry is all I've worked in the last okay. 13, 14 years now. Mm-hmm. So all we've done is work for cannabis companies. And when I say cannabis, by the way, just by way of background, I'm talking about the plant, which is the mm-hmm. industry. The cannabis industry, in my mind, has two distinct sectors. It's got the marijuana industry, and it's got the hemp side of the industry. Mm-hmm. And both of them are distinct. And, and our practice has sort of uh, been evenly divided between hemp and marijuana uh, mm-hmm. over the last 13, 14 years. So I'd say that The vast majority of our clients continue to be successful, Um, but there are ups and downs and you have to be able to reinvent yourself. You have to know what the market trends are. And again, you have to have the human resource and financial support to make those changes or else uh, you're you're not going to survive in this space. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. Yeah, thank
1: you. And it sounds like you're really helping pave a path forward for a lot of these companies and for policy as well. So speaking of policy, many states, localities, and companies are incorporating social equity policies, like setting aside funds or licenses for legacy operators and applicants who are disproportionately criminalized for cannabis. Do you think this is enough?
2: No, (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think there's so much more to be done and it really, you know, because there is no kind of set standard anywhere, you know, it really does come down to each state, each municipality, you know, and, and it varies so widely from one to the next. Um, You know, we've got States that if you have previous cannabis convictions, you can't work in the cannabis industry. And then we have other States where, they are saying, yes, you can, but they're not really providing a lot of assistance. And then we have other states, you know, like New York's really trying to have this big equity fund that's really going to support people. Um, You know, Connecticut just did a mass expungement for their people uh, in their state. So, you know, there are certainly, you know, elements and areas where we are seeing, you know, really great processes being put in place, but there's still areas where there's, you know, no thought to it or very limited thought to it and a lot of work to be done.
3: I wouldn't do anything except say that 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 was that was the perfect answer. I think that's exactly right. But the 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 basic answer, I would agree, is is no, it's it's just not enough. But um, but we are seeing some progress and we hope that that gains momentum.
2: I think
1: this is the advantage for states like New York that are kind of um, legalizing a little bit later than other states like Colorado and California is that they can kind of look back at what other states have have done wrong, so to speak, and improve on that. So I think that's why with New York, um, we're seeing that they might be the gold standard quote unquote for social equity. And hopefully other states that come after New York will will improve upon that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Robert, my next question is for you. How do you think some of the laws and policies that states are incorporating are failing, and how do you think some are succeeding?
3: That's a great question. I think I think the failures come from um, not looking more closely at the actual social equity applicant, the qualifying person or person. What I mean by that is um, when a you know all, we've seen situations large companies come in and and they find a qualifying social equity applicant and they make a limited deal with that person and then they get the license and then that person either doesn't have a meaningful opportunity to participate in the business or work in the business or you know or they sort of predetermined that they will be potentially out after a, a certain period of time and, and every state treats uh, you know the requirement to maintain the social equity uh, individuals for a a certain period of time. My my point being, I think the state could do a little bit better job of sort of looking at, maybe through a hearing process or otherwise, to be able to ask questions and understand what is the qualifying minority or social equity applicant's role in the company? um, How stringent or how involved is that role? and, uh, and, And do they really have an opportunity to participate in the business versus just being A designated face of the business for licensing purposes. So Mm -hmm. that's one thing I think that could be done better. Uh, What I think is, frankly, being done well is is the fact that, you know, these programs, when these programs began to come out, uh, you know, the city of Oakland, for example, was a champion for these programs early on. The industry resisted these programs, politicians resisted these programs. Uh, Now we see the fact that they are accepted. Uh, and they're recognized as being vital because of the stigma and the, the, the you know the, the issues surrounding our industry. Um, so I think that they've done a good job from a I don't want to say public relations standpoint because that minimizes it all. But I guess my point is the programs themselves are generally accepted as being necessary and proper and and, and good things. Uh, that wasn't always the case, uh, and 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 to that that represents something that represents momentum moving towards this. Now, if we can only get the federal government to somehow legalize the plant or create a structure that allows this industry to really thrive across the United States not just be in its limited boxes, then I think because of the public policy momentum and the social equity programs that are in place that many 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 more opportunities will be created for people that qualify as social equity applicants but you know those things have to happen one at a time but all I can say is every year that goes by is um, Something is recognized and something is is just understood as being fact in this space. Uh, And this is one of those things. And it helps to gain momentum, even though, as we've said, the, the programs are not enough and they're not perfect at present.
0: Gotcha. Um, You know, when I was preparing to the call, I read a lot of articles about the social equity in the United States and many, many other things about the equity in the industry. And I was just wondering, can I just read you one episode and then I'll ask the question. So uh, the episode from one of the articles uh, from United States uh, publishers, it sounds like on March 31st. 2021, New York State legalized adult-use cannabis, also known as marijuana. By passing the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act, MRTA, the legislation creates a new Office of Cannabis Management uh, governed by a Cannabis Control Board to oversee and implement the law, collectively referred to as OCM. Uh, The OCM will issue licenses and develop regulations outlining how and when businesses can participate in the new industry. A major focus of the MRTA is social and economic equity, equity, I'm sorry. And uh, I didn't actually know that you have such programs uh, in the United States because here in Ukraine, we don't have um, cannabis legal, even uh, the medical one. I hope uh, in the nearest future, we will have the medical one um, basically, so you can go and buy it in the shop. So maybe you can tell more about how these structures and how these programs work and uh, who finances them, because I'm not really sure that's all about the governments. It's, uh, can you maybe share some insights if you know something about this?
3: The, The excerpt you're reading sounds like it may have been from the state of Nevada. Um, But nonetheless, uh, my point is these these programs are designed to create a priority licensing to make it a little bit easier to get a license, but also to make it so that uh, the qualifying social equity applicant is put in a position of power and authority in that business. Uh, That is those are driven from you know the industry's desires and good public policy but mm-hmm. they're overseen and managed by the government that's how you get a license right you get a license by qualifying and doing all these right things but at, at the end of the day that's not enough because you need mm-hmm. millions of dollars to run a cannabis company you mm-hmm. need as we talked about you need support and personnel so all of these things would come from the private sector so you need to have this buy in and there is a there is an overall bigger picture here uh, mm-hmm. There's this concept of ESG, environmental and social un- and governance. Uh, and these concepts are being uh, enforced by the SEC and various SEC like entities around the world, meaning that companies do have to come in with a good balance of mm-hmm. leadership and being sensitive to these diversity issues and to these social equity issues, whether or not they're a cannabis company. So I think mm-hmm. that that's the bigger picture. So, public policy wise, the government's responsible for creating the program, but it has to respond. Uh, and, and work with the needs of the marketplace. And here, that's where the private sector comes in. So you really need companies like Regenibus and the Regenibus Fund, for example, out of California that support companies that are doing the right thing in this space, not just from a sustainability and an environmental standpoint, but also from a social equity standpoint. And mm-hmm. all of those things work together. There's a, there's a great company called the, the, the People's Dispensary and the People's Ecosystem out of Northern California. Mm-hmm. That, that dispensary network and those personnel Uh, Those people are really sending this message far and wide, and they're attracting private dollars to invest in operations that are more diverse and run by people that qualify as social equity applicants. So you do need the government and the private sector to work together hand in hand here and recognize that this is a valuable tool. And if you do it correctly, the company is just going to be better. It's going to function better. It's going to have more diverse perspective and opinion, uh, and it's going to have a chance to do really, really great things in the marketplace
0: um mm, gotcha so um the final question i would like to ask you what we can do and what the government can do moving forward to uh not just to talk about the social equity in the future so it's all all right and people can get everything they want and it's not about your race or um i don't know your nationality or etc how can we overcome this and how do you think um how shortly it can become um real it's the question for both of you guys (laughs) Hmm. that's
2: a that's a that's a big question i you know take your time (laughs) gosh i mean the there's so much still to be done. And I think, you know, every day we get a little bit closer and every day, you know, the, the, there's a, a little bit more acknowledgement of the fact that there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of it is just going to be, you know, us finding, you know, each other, us, us connecting with each other and us creating, um, these, these partnerships that are going to help to elevate the voice and help to, um, elevate the, the need and, and bring about some of the change that needs to happen. Um, I think without, you know, those of us who are a little bit more vocal about things, um, those of us who are asking the questions, those of us who are challenging, you know, areas that are not up to where we feel the standards would be. Uh, need to be, you know, that's, that's how we're going to make those changes. As far as timelines are concerned, you know, I couldn't even begin to speculate on that. Um, As long as we're taking steps, yeah, as long as we're taking steps every day in the right direction, you know, that's progress. And, you know, there's, there's, of course, going to be a point where, you know everybody's going to get on board, but right now it's, it still is a bit of a fight. It still is a challenge to get some people who really need to be part of the conversation to feel comfortable being part of the conversation or to feel like, uh, you know, what they have to say is valid. Um, there are a lot of people who have great insight who are still, um, you know, due to the prohibition are still really quiet and, you know, don't feel comfortable raising their voices and. You know, we need to get those people into into you know those those areas where uh, these discussions are happening and where decisions are being made and where change is being enacted, and mm-hmm. that's how we're going to make that progress.
0: Sounds good to me.
3: <laughs> I, I would say that you know, look, th- 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 everything's going to take time, um, but I think what we've seen in Washington D.C. is. A bit of a, a measuring stick, if you will, for us. I mean, think about how the the debate about cannabis policy reform has evolved in Washington D.C. It has it has evolved where the Democrats have dug their their heels in very firmly on the fact that there needs to be criminal justice and social justice uh, issues addressed with any kind of legalization bill or or any bill that moves the industry forward. So the Democrats who you know, have not necessarily been strong on cannabis policy previously uh, are really, really making that the focal point of any federal policy reform. And I don't expect that to change. So it's there. It's built in. Whereas the Republicans are a little bit more focused. Those that would consider legalization are focused on you know individual freedom, state rights and, and economic concerns. So that represents a good balance, so to speak. But the fact that this debate is happening in Washington, D.C., and those principles are just frankly it's the social justice and social equity principles that have probably prevented things like safe banking and the climate act and a couple of other things to pass because they're not universally agreed upon but the more you have those Mm -hmm. debates that notion will be understood and it will be conveyed when this industry is recognized as perhaps being you know here to stay which it's not recognized as that yet but when it is uh, the people that make the decisions uh, concerning policy reform at the federal level are going to ensure and insist that these provisions be part of it. So uh, again, it, it's part of the it's part of the the whole uh, uh, ideology and part of the fact that th- these things need to be addressed. That is a fact, uh, and I don't think that that's going to change. How long it takes to change, though, it's a brand new industry. I mean, I, I've worked in it for twelve, thirteen years, but at the end of the day. Uh, most people you run across have been involved in the industry for a year and a half to two years. So there's a lot of ground to cover uh, and this industry has a lot of growing up to do. One of the necessary components (laughs) of growing up is making sure that you are fair, balanced, and equitable uh, as an industry. And and that's where these these provisions go.
0: Yeah, that's about me, about the years in the industry. I'm about three years in the industry, so I understand your pain. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) Paula-
3: You know what they say, by the way, they, they say, by the way, that uh, every year you work in the cannabis industry is like a dog year, meaning seven oh, years. Oh, yeah, exactly. Most of, us, <laughs> most of us feel that way, right? Uh, two or three years, we'll put some gray hair on you. Uh, <laughs> if you do it for more than that. Uh, That's amazing. <laughs> you're going to need some rest.
0: yeah i have actually my vacation next week so i'm preparing to it in the moral way (laughs) so um my last question would be i i totally remember that i promised you that this would be the last one but just just the last last one Uh, what would be your advice to the government who are really picky about legalizing cannabis these years and how can you maybe each of you Paul and Robert how can you impress them uh, by saying some kind of words and uh, persuading them that people really need this?
3: Hmm.
2: I think you know for me it's a it's a matter of you know, continuing to look around at your community and continue to uh, see where the deficits are and how can we collectively make those, you know, better? How can we collectively raise everyone up? And, you know, in the cannabis industry, there's so many people who have been held down and there's you know, we can't do right by one person until we look about how we can do right by everyone. And, you know, those are those are one of the things because, you know, as we know, this company is supposed to be founded by the people for the people. And it's really important to make sure that as we're creating this space in this new industry, that we are not just looking to a few chosen individuals, but we are looking at the collective and how can can we create an industry that, you know, raises everyone up, not just those select few? And it's, it's, for me, it's all about that conversation. And how can we keep having that? And how can we just really make sure that people are understanding that and valuing that? Um, And, you know, these conversations are getting easier and easier to have every day, um, because it is a much more, open conversation now rather than being taboo and kind of hush hush in the back um so making this you know a, a, a conversation that continued to be open um it can t- continue to be really you know a, a deep conversation not superficial and really one where every voice is being honored
3: that's a, so, that's okay. a great perspective and, and i agree with with all of that uh, you know the only <laughs> thing i would i would just kind of add to that, just look, I mean, this, this industry, as we've talked about, it's hard. And uh, we have come to the, the recognition that the, the industry has a, a duty and, and perhaps it is the best industry, perhaps not just because of this duty in the history, but it lends itself very well to putting these principles in action. But a lot of this stems from the stigma around the cannabis industry. I mean, Uh this industry has been commercialized and regulated for for many, many, many years now, some places longer than others, but even in some of those places, there's still the stigma attached to it. And and so um, people of color that may want to participate, maybe they would hesitate to participate because that stigma still exists surrounding Uh this industry. And that's what frankly and fundamentally needs to change. And I do say, Every single year, little by little, the attitudes surrounding cannabis uh, do change. We, we see that in society. We see that nationally and internationally. But that stigma is still the biggest thing of all. And so that becomes an educational campaign to sort of let people, particularly in minority communities, to let them know and to educate them that this plant is not the gateway drug. It is not this this substance that uh, necessarily on its own has killed communities. It's the criminal justice treatment uh, that, and and, and frankly, that some of the policies behind that, that has created some of these challenges in those communities. So my point is stigma needs to be reversed. And the only way mm-hmm. to do that in many is time and education. And those things will lead to what we all know is that this industry does have a substantial responsibility and it's the best industry to put this experiment in place because of you know how unique it is and the fact that we have a chance to level set it from the very beginning so all exciting stuff
1: wow you make some both of you guys have made some really excellent points thank you so much
0: if i were a deputy i would totally listen to you guys that was amazing <laughs> <laughs> so this was as growers podcast feel free to visit our website at asgrowers.com for more information about cannabis here on this call and this podcast were Paula Palki and Robert Hoban with us? Uh, maybe you can add uh, your websites or your pages when people can follow us and see some more information. Sure. So you can find Cannabis Equity
2: Employment at cannabisequityemployment.com. Um, Feel free if, uh, to go on, create a profile if you're an individual looking for uh, to be able to put yourself into the candidate pool. And then also we have memberships for businesses, uh, which I would add are much markedly less than many of the other job boards that you'll find, whether that be Monster, Indeed, et cetera, um, and create a membership and uh, start posting your jobs with us and start getting those qualified candidates who have experience and are familiar with the industry.
3: Uh, for me guys you can you can find me uh, if you google bob Hovind, H O b a find uh, find me online bobhoven.com dot uh, gps.global the consulting firm ctrust.io uh or clarkhill.com i look forward to hearing from some of you please reach out even if your question is small uh we love to be a resource for the industry
1: Thank you to our guests, Robert Hoban and Paula Pelkey for joining us today on the Ask Growers podcast. And thank you for listening. For all things cannabis, make sure to visit Ask Growers at askgrowers.com.